So I'm back with round two of my interview with Tom Fisher. So Tom, let's pick up where we left off last time. And you were talking about how the current pandemic, the coronavirus, is currently affecting what's going on at the county there. You mentioned that you guys have been doing things that you've never done before that that you did, couldn't even imagine having done before. Um, and everybody's being thrown out of their comfort zones. Um, can you give us a couple examples of some of the things that you're doing with GIS for the county now? Sure. Um, well, I'll tell you, the um, you know, as, as with a lot of county government, um, there is the what I call the keep the lights on GIS portion of, of what we do. And that is the day-to-day, you know, land records maintenance, uh, public works maintenance, things like that. Have we gone through and, and dabbled in the environments of ArcGIS Online and, uh, you know, Hub, you know, Portal, the Enterprise, uh, that type of thing? Yes. But, you know, they've been sort of one-off projects um, that we've done for different departments within the organization. And when coronavirus hit, you know, we were sort of thrust into a different dynamic here at the county. We had to actually... Uh, Some of my staff actually had to actually uh, go under closure pay, which um, means that they were at home, you know, sheltering in place. Others were actually able to do work from home. And we kind of came up, you know, uh, as part of this uh, emergency operations centers and board of health, uh, this idea that, and and quite honestly, I think Esri's kind of nudged this um, as well in a lot of their marketing, you know, stand up a hub, use GIS, you know, these GIS capabilities uh, to really sort of support your local you know, response to uh, this pandemic. So that's what we did. We kind of put all the other sort of maintenance, I, you know, on you know, sort of the back burner. And we didn't stop them completely, but put them on the back burner and really thrust ourselves into this idea that collection of data, uh, presentation of data, uh, putting together a resource or a hub to inform constituents of people in the county, uh, you know, spatial aspects of what, you know, this coronavirus actually uh, has, has sort of done uh, with us and, and, and help people adapt to it. So we set up a hub site and the dashboards. I think a lot of uh, that you've seen and a lot of other people have seen those as well with county impact, state impact, national impact of, you know, cases and, and deaths and, um, you know, recoveries. And But, you know, it's more than just that. You know, it's, it's more than just the, the, the people that are in or dealing with this actual coronavirus within them, you know, as far as the illness is concerned. But we also have those other sort of tangential effects of this, and that is school children um, that are no longer in school, uh, but that need a, you know, need a meal, a lunch, a breakfast. Um, So what we did was we took the data for all of the schools providing uh, free lunch and free breakfast to students, uh, and we mapped those and put them on the hub. Uh, the other thing was is that a lot of uh, underserved children within uh, Cuyahoga County don't have access to uh, broadband internet service. It's surprising in today's day and age that that is the case, but it is. Um, and so what we did was we mapped all of the free and open Wi-Fi hotspots within the county. We actually published hand maps uh, to hand out at the school lunch program. Um, so any student that was getting breakfast or lunch could actually identify a place uh, that they could take their, you know, Chromebooks or laptops um, and, and hook up to the internet and do uh, coursework. Um, albeit, you know, from the from the parking lot, 
but it, but at least it gave them uh, access to internet, and we were able to provide that that service. You know, and the other thing that we've decided to do is identify, you know, where the testing locations were, um, emergency response. Uh, so, emer- so fire, police, ambulance, uh, first responder locations, and then hospitals and urgent care clinics. Um, we mapped those as well. And then the other thing that, that we decided to do um, was take the, the local newspaper here actually was publishing all of those restaurants that were doing carryout or uh, delivery. And they listed them all uh, you know, on a page on their website. And we thought, well, that's great um, if you know what you're looking for, but what if you're, you know, in a specific location and want to see what's available, um, you know, location-wise? So we decided to map all of those and put all, you know, is it Grubhub or is it Uber Eats or, you know, what are some of the other services that, that do delivery? What are their hours of operation? You know, is it a limited menu? Is it, is it a full menu? That kind of thing. Um, so we mapped all of those uh, within Cuyahoga County, and then we also – uh, put together a uh, small little survey that if anybody, you know, if a restaurant owner uh, got to the website and said, hey, I don't see my location on there, I want to enter it in, gives them the opportunity to add that to it, you know, to our sort of crowdsourced map. Um, and that's more from the economic development, economic um, impact standpoint, right? So people are at home and there are uh, places out there that are are still uh, doing good work, uh, making great food, um, and uh, there's people out there that are that are willing to deliver it to you uh, with all the safety precautions, you know, in place. But we thought that would be important for us to do as well, and we're constantly expanding this this offering. So it's not something that we really, you know, again, six months to a year ago, somebody said, "Hey, we're going to you're going to be putting up a a, a GIS hub site um, in response to a worldwide pandemic." I would have thought you were crazy, but yeah, it's here it is, and, and it's sort of not in the comfort zone, but definitely something that was necessary, and so um, we adapted, and we moved towards it. So I'm really proud of my guys, um, you know, for stepping up and, and taking the initiative um, and working on this. So. It is. Um, I'm also really glad to hear that you guys had the foresight to think of what kind of mediums you should be doing this for, like mapping where where there's free Wi-Fi and free broadband for people and putting that on a paper map. It's like when back in the day when you used to call your internet company when your internet was out and you'd get this message, did you know you could check things on our website? It's like, right. do you know my internet is out and I can't and I don't have a smartphone right. yet? So I, it's, um, that happens more often than not with a lot of things. So I'm really glad you're, you're able to take a look at the whole picture and be like, okay, these people can't get access to this and they're not going to be able to get it in this format that we normally do. Let's put it in this type of format and, and put that out in places where you know they're going to be like picking up a school lunch or breakfast. So I'm really glad to hear that. Um, yeah. We're, we're at makers. Thinking of these details. Yeah. Maybe we're at makers, right? I mean, that's really what we want to be is, is in the, in the programming development side of things, but um, there is, a need for tactile mapping still, uh, you know, for, <laughs> for those that don't have the internet. So, um, you know, uh, again, it, times change and yes, you need to adapt to, you know, the, the, the internet age, but you can't, you can't lose sight of where you came from and what the practicality of actually putting together a paper map, you know, what that actually means for people. So there are times when it comes in really handy. I know I was recently, well, in January, we went on a vacation and where we were, my battery was draining on my phone incredibly quickly. So it was really handy to have a paper map because I knew that within an hour, my phone was going to be dead. And that 
wouldn't be able to right. pull up Google Maps or whatever I was using to help locate something. So I definitely think, yeah, you, you can't get rid of paper maps altogether. No. It'd be nice, yeah. but that things yeah, happen. I mean, it, Sometimes you need a backup. <laughs> right. You, I mean, it's it, again, and it's adaptability, right? It's it's the uh, understanding what the need is and filling the need. Um, you know, that it's not one size fits all for every situation. So, you know, understanding what the situation is, what it calls for, and, and doing what needs to get done to make it happen. So, yeah. Very true. So another thing I wanted to ask you about is actually about the county. Um, you had mentioned to me last year how you had done specific branding for the county GIS. Um, and, you, oh. and now you've got your little logo everywhere. Absolutely. Um, well, so uh, how did that come about and what did you hope that would do and what has it actually done for, for your department? So um, uh, let me take a step back and, and, and say that, you know, I, I came to this, to the county by way of an organization in Appalachia, Ohio. As many people, I'm sure, listening to the podcast would know that Appalachia is, is an underserved, very poor area, uh, you know, of the country, uh, spans many states. In fact, I grew up in Appalachia, and most people don't even think of it, but Pittsburgh is the largest city um, in what are designated as the Appalachian counties. Of the United States. And so this underserved area, I decided that there was a, a definite deficit in, in technology and GIS. And I saw an opportunity to bring together um, these counties in Appalachia, 32 of them together, and work with each other collectively and collaboratively uh, to start to develop GIS skills, bring the technology in, that type of thing. And as a part of that, um, we branded ourselves as a nonprofit. Uh, we called ourselves the Appalachian Ohio Geospatial Data Partnership. It was a great name, very appropriate, but we thought, you know what, we need to brand ourselves. We need to actually have an identity so that people can, um, you know, know who we are, what we stand for, mission statement, um, you know, what are our values, um, that kind of thing. And so I put together with a, a, a team of GIS professionals in, in that area, we put together some branding. And it did amazing things for us. We had a website, web presence, uh, promoted what we were doing. Uh, we went out and, and received uh, well over $100,000 in grant money to, um, from the FGDC, from the state of Ohio, uh, again, to, to fulfill that mission of data standardization, data partnership, bringing technology um, in uh, to, to the underserved area of Ohio. And so that really, uh, you know, that sort of educated me again and gave me perspective on things. And when I came to Cuyahoga County, I thought, you know, it's the same thing here. If we want to be recognized or known, um, we need to have advocates for us or people that will, that will say, hey, do you know about this county GIS department? Also, you know, have this brand and have this thing that people can remember. So I actually made up stickers and handed them out to folks and said, you know, hey, with the GIS department and... It, the branding looks very similar to the county brand. Um, it's just that it's it's actually sort of a subset, a sub-branding, I guess, if you will, of the county brand. We actually use the county brand as well. It, it's a way to sort of build an identity for the group, and it's a it really was a rallying point for uh, my staff. Right, at least it was it was something that they were proud to actually have. Uh, you know, this here's this brand, and and this is what this is who we work for, and this is what we stand for put it out on social media. It really kind of gave an identity. It's sort of like, a, think of it as like a flag for a country, sort of a beacon or a way to, to actually 
look and rally around the, that, that identity uh, enterprise GIS department. The other aspect of it is a lot of times people will say that you need to have an advocate above you. Well, I'll tell you, having an advocate beside you and below you does wonderful things as well. So anytime you can tell your, tell your story to you know, an entry-level person, uh, somebody that is a peer uh, with you or somebody that's above you, tell that story because it's a, you know, GIS and geospatial and location intelligence is a very compelling story uh, to tell. And they will take your message forward as well. Um, and, and it spreads the good word, uh, gives you a lot of recognition um, so that you can continue to do that great work. Um, I'm not a person, and, and none of my staff are either. We're not looking for the attention, so to speak. We're just working to help use our technology to help other people, right, to help convey your message or get uh, data out to the public, um, citizen engagement, that type of thing. And so that's, sort of, that's really why I put this brand together was so that people can easily identify who we are and what we do um, and come to us in, in, when they need you know, assistance in this area. So that's, that's really, that, that I think is, the, is in a nutshell the reason why I did it. That's really interesting. Have you had anything happen um, with these underserved areas where there there's like mistrust with what you're doing, and they're like, are they are they very open to to what you're doing oh, for them, or oh, are they they kind of like mm, we don't know? Right. So always um, there is always an element of distrust, um, and and I think you know what is distrust is ignorance, and and so what we do is educate. Right. Yeah, we're very sensitive. I mean, let's take COVID, for example. When it comes down to uh, mapping an actual location of a, of a COVID victim, um, we don't do that. You know, there's HIPAA regulations, but, there's, but, but it's also a violation of somebody's privacy. Um, so we, we generalize and we take that seriously. And so educating um, folks on, on our ethics and what we're doing as far as mapping um, is concerned, you know, I think that goes a long way to build trust. And with trust, um, and, and, and the other thing too is, is that what they say it takes a lifetime to build trust, but it takes only seconds to uh, to wash it away. Always do what you say you're going to do, right? Never overpromise and underdeliver. You always underpromise and overdeliver, right? Make sure you listen to folks too, and, and understand what their concerns are about this technology, right? It's I, th- I think some folks you'll probably never will get to and, and help them understand. But there are a lot of people that are out there that are just, they want to know more. And so if you spend the time to sit down and educate them on what the technology is and what it's capable of doing and what it, it shouldn't do, uh, I think you build a lot of trust with those folks and, and they become, again, advocates of what you're doing. If you can show them how it helps people find Wi-Fi hotspot locations or uh, find a, a lunch, uh, you know, breakfast meal drop, uh, you know, location or, you know, help the, the local business owner uh, with their, you know, takeout on delivery, you know, that's the story that we want to tell is about how the technology is, is helps, you know, we're not here to actually hurt. So. Can you talk a little bit more about kind of um, what you went through when you were first getting into GIS and kind of how the industry has changed a little bit um, from then to now, because obviously there's been some huge leaps and bounds. <laughs> um, you oh, mentioned before okay. that you had started on Arc Info, and we are now going into ArcGIS Pro, Pro, like right? Two point is, something now. So there's been a, a lot of change. <laughs> right, the, the Send client, right? The whole, um, you know, it's all browser-based. Uh, 
you know, you can do ArcGIS online and it's all on the internet. And uh, oh yeah, the the cloud. What is the cloud? Well, it's <laughs> it's uh, your stuff stored on somebody else's computer. Yeah, it it has changed tremendously. Um, I will say that uh, you know when I was first starting off, um, you know, doing C plus plus programming in Visual Basic and Pascal and Cobalt and Fortran and all those other languages. You know, even that has come, um, you know, to where uh, a point where uh, you don't do command line anymore. It's all menu based, menu driven, but you have the flexibility to actually do HTML programming or Python scripting or things, you know, like like that sort of to help augment, you know, the, the work that you're doing in GIS. But the fact that it's all modular based too, I mean, in Hub right now, uh, instead of having to script or code your whole HTML, it's drag and drop, right? It's like a, a WordPress site. I think GIS, it, where it used to be, um, you know, it took you six months uh, of, of deep, deep use um, in, in ArcInfo uh, command line to actually have a, a good uh, grasp of the technology and its capabilities. Now it's sort of, it, it's come to a place where it's very pervasive, where you know, it's the Google Google mapification of GIS, where everybody can have a uh, you know a map, uh, an electronic map or digital map in front of them, and can print that off. Um, the same with GIS technology. The fact that ArcGIS Online it has sort of the you know for anybody that's uh, it doesn't want to do any programming, they can go in there and actually make a map and and put together some some really neat applications pretty quickly. Um, but if you want to go in there and really fancy it up. Uh, you have a lot of the latitude um, with the programming, you know, and scripting uh, Python to really do some pretty amazing things with that. So it, it really is a technology for all levels, in my opinion. And I think it's something that, you know, I'd like to see uh, the capabilities, you know, distributed uh, to where everybody has those capabilities of doing sort of the same, you know, doing mapping. You know, there's a lot of, of uh, Power BI and Tableau and a lot of these other um, technologies that are coming out that are using sort of big data, uh, but then are, are actually um, allowing people to display that uh, spatially. I don't see that as necessarily a bad thing. Um, I think it, it really sort of helps educate people on what it is that we're doing, right? We're really sort of data scientists, you know, and analysts. We're not map makers anymore, you know, although that is an aspect of some of the things that we do, but, you know, we're, we're so much more than just you know, cartographers uh, and geographers. We're really, you know, we're really immersed in the IT aspects of things, programming, again, analytics, analytics and analytics. I'll say that three times because I think that's really sort of where this, this whole thing is. It's spatial analytics. You know, data scientists, big data scientists, how do you maintain the, you know, and manage data? Uh, one of the things that I say is, is that you can build a database. That's only half the problem. The other half the problem is maintaining it. So uh, it's data is only as good as the last time it was it was updated or maintained. I think people lose sight of that, right? So like, oh, yeah, we've got this great data set. Okay, when was the last time you updated? It was in six months. Well, then it's not a great data set then. I mean, it's, a, it's an outdated data set is what it is. And, you know, you gotta keep, you got to keep up on it. you got to keep current. So, but, yeah, I mean, the, the technology is, has, has done a crazy leaps and bounds uh, from the early 90s when I was in the, in, in the industry um, or when I first started out in the industry. And, you know, actually, I had this decision to make, and I mentioned MapInfo earlier. Um, I was in the MapInfo environment, um, and I made the decision. I said, listen, you know, there's a fork in the road, and I'm going down this MapInfo way. Um, but a lot of people are, are in this ArcInfo, ArcInfo platform. So 
what I did was I jumped back over. I kind of um, came back into the into the Arc uh, GIS you know, side of the of the house, and been here ever since. But that doesn't mean that I can't, you know, bring up the tableaus and the Power BIs and all the other, um, you know, mapping applications that are currently being thrust upon us, uh, and learn those as well and be informed um, as to how those integrate and work with the technology that majority of us uh, use and, and love. Yeah, I mean, even even if you're sticking with just the Esri suite of products, they're still learning to do because they constantly change things. Coming out oh. with ArcGIS Pro, for example, is completely different than than ArcMap for desktop. It's it's you're always evolving and and building on what you right. know. So whether it's a completely new, different suite of software or or just the same software upgrading stuff, we're gonna have to do that oh. anyways. Yeah, if, yeah. You you const. I mean, you actually, if you're not every month learning, you know, on a, on a webinar or on some sort of uh, training to understand what the evolution of the next step in the technology is, then you're really falling behind. So um, definitely, Very much so. <laughs> they, you know, stay current on the webinars, you know, the meetups, you know, read the blogs, uh, stay on LinkedIn, get, immerse yourself in it. Uh, again, it's about being resourceful, right? Finding those resources to keep yourself current on the, on the latest technologies, because, um, you know, these, the, the web map builder um, or web, web app builder is now, being called experience builder, I believe. And so it's a completely different look and feel. Even ArcGIS Online is, has, has changed. The map uh, interface is, is being changed. And they give you the opportunity to go out there and, hey, do you want to you see the beta version? you want to test this out? Do you want to? And if you don't feel comfortable there, you jump back over to the old version. But, yeah, it's constantly changing. And so you have to stay up on the latest technologies in the, art, you know, in the Esri space, but everything, right? I mean, look at Microsoft and the uh, – you know, all the things that, that they're putting out, you know, Excel, PowerPoint, Word, those have changed tremendously since uh, my days in the early 90s. I mean, there's a lot of things that you can do with those now, and they're all integrated. You don't have that paperclip anymore. Yes, exactly. Thank, <laughs> thank goodness. He was very annoying. Yes. Um, <laughs> so, no, I, uh, no, it, it is. And it's, there's, um, yeah, it, it, it's constantly changing and evolving. You know, if you're in technology, uh, you can become a dinosaur pretty quickly if you just kind of sit there and, and, and let the world pass you by. Yeah. So, what would you current. say to somebody <laughs> who is, um, they're kind of interested in, in the industry, but it's, it's a little bit scary because there's stuff like programming that they would have to do or web maintenance, or there's, there's an aspect of it they're not sure about. What would you say to somebody yeah, who's interested, but who's a little bit scared? Um, and how would you help them overcome like I know, for example, I didn't really want to touch anything to do with programming when I first got into GIS. I liked it because I can make maps. But you want me to program or code something? No, no, no. I'm, I'm not going to do that. Um, eventually, <laughs> my fear of that got obliterated, and now I can do that no problem. But but right. I, there's definitely a, a very real, I think, block for a lot of people from even getting well, in or going further because they've decided well, this is big and scary. You know, I, I and again, it was a saying that was the that some I can't remember who I heard this from, but it, I think it it really speaks to what you're talking about, and that is, you know, you have to push your boundaries, right? You have to go outside of those boundaries because once you do, um, and that's exactly what you did. You said so I really didn't want to do programming, but you you did it. You thrust yourself into it, and maybe the first time you, you know, metaphorically you fell down and scraped your knee, right? But you got up, you put a Band-Aid on it, started at it again, right? And then every time you did it, you became more comfortable with it, 
right? Um, to the point where um, now it's, you know, it's old hat, right? It, it's something that, that you feel very comfortable with. And now you're on to the next thing to challenge yourself uh, with or expand your boundaries on. I think, I think it's, you know, change is very, oh, I'm not sure, you know, the, how, to, how to say this, but uh, say people fear change. And, and I, I think people don't necessarily fear change. I think they fear fi- quick change. Um, I think if change works slowly and methodically, then I think people are, are able to adapt and modify to that. Uh, the same with learning a, a new skill. Um, one of the things that I think most people are most afraid of is public speaking, right? My feeling on that is is that, uh, you know, yeah, you're, you fear it, um, but if you do it enough times, it's not that you feel comfortable doing it, but it is, I guess it's, it, it doesn't, it doesn't cause you as much consternation, right? I mean, it, you know, you become sort of practiced at it. And so what I do uh, with my staff is, is that when I go to make a presentation, I invite them to come with me. I have them help me with put the presentation together and deliver it. And then I give them a small speaking role, um, you know, in the presentation, whether it's a demonstration or here, you know, you go ahead and, and, and present this aspect of, of the program just to kind of help them, you know, the old saying is, is learn how to crawl, walk, and run. Uh, the same thing there, right? A good leader will actually help you to sort of slowly, um, as, a, as a young uh, person, um, you know, in the field, to help you kind of bring you along, right, and, and help you learn these new skills and these new um, ways of doing things uh, to where you'll become comfortable with it. I would say don't ever be afraid to ask for help uh, to, a, to a young person. Um, especially in this field. GIS folks, in my experience, are very helpful um, and re- are always willing to share um, their knowledge and skills uh, with, with, with the younger groups. So it's been my experience. Um, you know, if, if you're afraid of, if you think you're afraid of, of Python programming, fine, find that person that does it really well, you know, and, and ask for a little bit of assistance, um, you know, and, and I think, you know, by, by doing, you become more comfortable. You expand your, again, you expand your horizons, you know, by jumping out of that comfort zone, you're going to, you know, expand your capabilities and become more comfortable as time goes on. So That's awesome. Well, Tom, this has been amazing. I'm really glad I got to talk to you, uh, learn about your experience, learn how you've been serving the the counties in Ohio um, with your nonprofit and just what you guys are doing there at Cuyahoga. Um, for the current COVID situation. So this has sure. been has been a lot of fun. Thank you so it much. Has been. And hopefully the next time we talk, we're not uh, in the middle of a pandemic. <laughs> I really hope so. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thank you, Tom. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode. Join us again in a couple of weeks for part two, where we talk about evolving GIS technology, nonprofits, and how knowing your audience is one of the most important things in any industry.